and welcome back to the FPL Lounge podcast, where we are back to preview game week two of Fantasy Premier League. My name is Chris Hopkins, and I am joined by the Carabao Cup run to my FA Cup run, because ultimately it's a lesser competition, Andy, now. It's Andy Case. Uh, Andy, um, I guess all of our listeners will know you as a as a Manchester United fan, but you know, you're... I guess, originally local team, Ipswich Town. They suffered at the hands of the mighty Colchester United in, in, in the Carabao Cup, which, as we all know, is, uh, is, 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 is England's Premier Cup competition uh, on Tuesday night. Um, just can't stop, can't, stop the, can't stop the feeling, can't stop the power um, of big Frank Nubay up front. So, yeah, your thoughts? Well, I mean, Ipswich B, isn't it? Basically, he used to play, used to play for Ipswich, as did half a team that probably st- that started. And I think you had Scoos on the pitch and Chambers on the pitch, didn't you? So, yeah, both of them. Yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, what's his face, the centre back who came through the Eastman, who came through the academy as yeah, well. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I mean, look, if you want to say orig- original local team, you you describe them as that would be uh, newly promoted York City. Yeah, I was going to say. Uh, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. The national national league, uh, yeah, York City, but um, no, obviously um, we're taking the league more seriously now, as everyone says. But but obviously, in all seriousness, there was a complete reserve team out from from Ipswich, and uh, yeah, I think. Uh, it, uh, but having said that, it will I think genuinely will annoy a lot of a lot of Ipswich fans because they've had a, a terrible runs in the cups over the last since since about. 10, 11, 12 years ago when they got to the semi-finals of the Carabao Cup and, yeah, and, that, uh, yeah. and beat was Arsenal it, in the first Tamas leg. Priskin Tamas, got the goal. Tamas yeah, Priskin. Yeah, yeah. yeah, big Tamas Priskin. Um, yeah, since since then, when we beat, beat Arsenal in the first leg of a semi-final, uh, it, it, it's been, yeah, slim pickings in the cup competitions. Here's, um, I mean, here's a bit more of a relevant question because I totally understand that, you know, talking about Colchester appeals to basically uh, us two and maybe two other listeners. I think we've got one lower league enthusiast and an, an Ipswich Town fan uh, among our listeners. But um, it felt of like, you know, we, we didn't play, we didn't create any chances. We didn't generate anything. We got one very lucky goal where, where um, you know, you gave the ball away and we straight to one of our players first time finish and back of the net and then we just defended the whole game um yeah it felt like a really good performance really good defensive performance so it's that interesting kind of like i guess thing in fpl where you're looking for you're looking for underlying numbers you're looking for creativity you're looking for x xg ultimately or xgi um which is fine i guess when it comes to looking for points and looking for returns from your for, from your team but ultimately like we you know we dug our heels in and it was and to watch it felt really great it felt euphoric it felt like we played really well and albeit you know there obviously there's a there's a level probably a level and a half at least between these two teams um and Ipswich didn't didn't create loads but probably still would have created what a cumulative one and a half to two xg i would have thought um missed missed some good opportunities but you know i don't think our keeper had a, a major save to, to make i think possibly one but then your best chance is you shot off target um so yeah it's kind of that that uh, dichotomy between what feels like a really good performance but then also you know for well that it was ultimately terrible and had that had we played like that in the league two game in the league and 1-1-0, one, one, we'd probably be feeling quite negative. And obviously there's a derby element to that as well. But yeah, it's kind of interesting, isn't it, to, to, well, to think about what you feel and how it feels to, to win a game, but ultimately knowing that you don't did not deserve it in terms of the underlying numbers. Well, from, yeah, but I guess ultimately you're through to the next round of the cup and the result is the only thing that matters. And to try and draw the parallel to FPL, 
it's that we use those underlying numbers to help us they are the they are better predictors like it like that game and the xg from that game demonstrates that if ipswich and colchester played lots of times ipswich would win that game more times than they then they'd lose it right but ultimately it's like an average xg is a, is a is a measure it's a probability it's a it's an average you're more likely to get a one two three four five on a dice than you are to get a six as in like the what if you combine the one two three four five right yeah. but one in six you know ish one in six times over the court if it's a fair dice get you get a six up so um over the course of rolling it enough times you know it's so therefore it's not like a six never comes up it's just more likely to get lower than a six so uh yeah the the, the freak fpl is a game of chance in 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 some respects and um so you can have the best preparation i mean it's interesting we've accidentally stumbled on this debate because there was there's been a bit of a uh, a set to a hoo-ha on FPL mm. Twitter this week oh, about really? um, models and uh, people who run the models describing their decisions as optimal and people who don't use those getting quite offended by like that kind of what they perceive to be like arrogance so it's, it's a similar mm. thing almost yeah 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 makes sense makes sense but yeah I mean yeah through to the next round we're, we're having this weird relationship with the, with the Carabao wasn't that long ago we beat Tottenham and Crystal Palace in the same season albeit on penalties I think having um you know strung out a nil-nil and then then yeah got to got to Matt and these other team Man United uh, away from home which was a yeah, nice nice memorable trip to Old Trafford where we did get did get absolutely thumped but uh yeah you know n- nice relationship with the carabao because it is ultimately now england superior cup competition uh but let's let's leave the lower leagues uh there i'm sure i'll talk about it again when we do end up playing brentford uh, towards the end of august uh but let's crack what, on with what, fpl what, go on just just to say what proportion of our listeners do you reckon we've got left at this point we've just spent five minutes chatting you know about it's which colchester and loosely trying to link it to fpl 10 did, i think we did an all right 15 10 yeah maybe maybe we'll come back come back now because we're going to start uh we're going to start all of our shows as we always do by running down this week's game week fixtures uh, we'll have a quick chat about this week's uh talking points uh we, we'll be going through some players on the radar we will be swimming against the tide as we always try and do uh, and then we will finish as we always do with captaincy and the little game we like to call who the heck is stat so let's start by uh Stop by running down those game week two fixtures. Uh, no Friday night football this week. So your FPL deadline is Saturday the 13th of August at 11 o'clock in the morning. Lunchtime kickoff, Aston Villa versus Everton. Then we've got uh, five three o'clock kickoffs. Arsenal versus Leicester, Brighton, Newcastle, Man City, Bournemouth, Southampton, Leeds and Wolves, Fulham. The Saturday evening game comes just in time to ruin my dinner. It's Brentford versus Man United. On Sunday, we've got Nottingham Forest versus West Ham and Chelsea versus Spurs is the, is the big uh, 4.30 kickoff. That should be interesting. And Monday night football, no, no Friday night football, but Monday night football instead this week, it's Liverpool versus Crystal Palace. Um, so, I mean, you've referenced, Andy, already what, one thing that dominated FPL Twitter this week. But I get the other kind of controversial topic that, that I saw was about price changes. And we spoke... Uh, uh, maybe in the long weekend or maybe I think more likely on our game week one preview pod about some people saying you know, Carrie Kane's got a really good game week one fixture um, then there's a very uh, Man City didn't have the easiest game week one fixture away at West Ham um, and therefore the move to from Kane in game week one to Haaland in game week two made, makes loads of sense I think also in game week two City have got what, Bournemouth at home which looks like a very easy fixture and Tottenham have Chelsea I think as you already said so yeah felt like almost like an obvious one but we were very well we were quite anti that uh I guess 
partially because we didn't like the idea of going into the season knowing what your game week one to game week two transfer is already. And we also didn't necessarily like that because we really rate Erling Holland and thought that he might return against West Ham. And you know, without getting too much into outcome bias, he did. Um, but what's the subsequent, or the knock-on effect of all of that was that Harry Kane's price dropped almost instantly on uh, on su- Sunday evening into Monday morning. Erling Holland's price increased. Therefore, if that was your strategy... You had to do it straight away. You had to do it with, yeah, literally off the back of, of 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 the Sunday night's games. The algorithm that determines price changes in FPL is is completely opaque. Basically, we don't really know what what comes into it. There are tools out there that can help you kind of try and predict it or try and get ahead of ahead of it. But it's still pretty pretty difficult to know exactly what what is behind it. Um, and that it feels a little bit unfair to some of the casual casual players, casual fans, some of which I'm sure are going to listen to this podcast, um, who are probably going to make their decisions on Thursday, Friday, as we usually advocate, Andy, listening to press conferences and waiting to see what happens. It's a big risk from FPL, I think, when they've got they've, they've done a lot over the years growing the game and millions more people have signed up over the last five years. And every year, year on year, including this one, is, is record breaking in terms of the number of people signing up. So they do risk, like the biggest thing we said, we said it, I think, not this season's preview but the season before about you know in terms of tips for the season even if you can just see it through you'll beat out probably two-thirds of your mini league right if you can just look at your team every week and captain someone sensible and make transfers that that you know transfer out players when they get injured and suspended and stuff there's loads of people who just don't even do that because they get switched off by it so so you'll you, yeah you'll beat out lots of your mini league rivals and the danger here is with more and more people signing up you know they're they're possibly like you know le- less invested as is it anyway otherwise they might have signed up all- already for the game before in previous years and they're new to it and they weren't expecting this price change and that could annoy you and frustrate you and and yeah it's a it's um I suppose what they want to stop is I guess people doing this premium jumping and you having to you know making people have a little bit more thought and put making game a little bit more skill I suppose in 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 it because if there wasn't for these price changes possibly everyone in the world would might might have done Kane to to Haaland and 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 that might have affected our thinking more but yeah it, we 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 did flag it up if you were an FPL lounge listener and uh, regardless of whether it's your first season or not and you listen to our season previews and or our our game week one preview pod then yeah at least you would have I suppose got got ahead of the, the game here but yeah it's it's one of those things you got to it, it'll happen with other players as well in the in the future so something to look out for yeah i guess it was just because it was game week 1 and because it, it you know we'd seen that it was a move that felt like it was preordained basically um obviously partially because of fixtures but without knowing how well either player did in game week 1 um it just cropped up on our radar and and, and yeah i think in the end had Harlan blanked and kane Hall, there still might have been a price swing, which just felt a little you know, really quite strange. And and you know, because of the the you know the price the buying and selling mechanisms within FPL, in the sense that you know if a player's price drops, you can you sell them for that price. But if you if their price increases, oh no, what how does it work, Andy? You can probably explain this way better than me. If their price it, increases, you buy them at that price. But if their price yeah, if, if your price increases when you don't own them, yes. you have to pay the price that it's increased to. Yeah. But if you if you do own them and their price increases, you only get fifty percent of the increase. Right. When you so like at the moment, them. if you're a if you're a Harland owner, he costs eleven point six to buy, but you'll still only get eleven point five in your bank if you sell him. 
Yeah. Whereas if he goes up to 11.7, that that rise is now 0.2 million, and that, so they'll give you half of it, but they will never they won't give you like they'll never give you like a whole increase. Yeah. So you yeah. get 11.6 if you sold him at for an easable value is 11.7 yeah there you go there you go yeah so and it sounds like from some of the tools again that that, that, that we use that he might rise overnight so by the time you'll listen to this he may well be 11.7 if you haven't made that move harry you know there's a 0.3 million swing now between or price difference between kane and 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 harland when they both started the season at the same price and you know of course that's going to be partly down to what happened in game week one and we totally understand that and i'm relatively for price changes because it tries to address players that are undervalued that that were ultimately priced wrong to start with i think we both would have agreed that we would have expected Holland to maybe have been priced a little bit higher at the start of the season. But at the same time, I think the the how opaque it is and the fact that it can happen kind of daily does disadvantage certain players. And and yeah, it's not something that we're always that bothered about. Um, but I think because of this because this felt such a preordained move, we highlighted it in our in our sort of season previews. And and yeah, I think it's worth worth referencing again, particularly as I say, that 0.3 million difference between game week between the start and game week two it feels feels strange to me well i mean whilst i would say definitely this is something to be aware of throughout the season as well i would also kind of point out that i think i think if there probably is some factors that make it a bit of an anomaly anomaly you mentioned one of them harland hauling di- absolutely did i think have an impact i wouldn't i wouldn't underestimate that because you could see live there are twitter accounts who tweet out like hourly or less even more frequently than that the, the numbers of transfers and like there was tens if not hundreds of thousands of people getting Harlan I think he had something like a it might have even been like 200,000 or something transfers in on Sunday evening like during and after that 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 game when he obviously played well so I think people were being impacted by City and his like amazing in clinical performance and also then you do you add in the double factor of there will have been a lot of people doing exactly what we kind of said about last week and making probably made the change even on friday evening once the deadline had gone for, straight from from kane to harland so that kind of double factor of like the game week one pre-season preordained transfer thing and the the insane performance from him probably has has yes yeah, sped up you, you you wouldn't always get these price changes being like on the sunday night yeah, exactly, and it does look like we're seeing a, a 0.2 million rise for him. Uh, you know, in one in one week, <clears throat> which, as Andy says, has been spread out. You know, we're looking at one on Thursday night, but the first one did come Sunday evening too. So, yeah, uh, you know, if, if, if it almost feels like if you haven't got him by now, you've almost missed out. But you know, ultimately, he still he still feels underpriced in the game. Um, well, therefore, we could put him, Andy, in the centre of, of of our radar, but we're not going to. We're going to put we're going to keep Darwin Nunes in there. I think um, you know we might as well be transparent Andy I think he is in he is in both of our teams at this point um, and we were quite bullish on the reasons why on the game week one preview so we don't really need to go into it again but ultimately what we saw in the community shield played out again in the Fulham game he came on he looked very lively he buzzed around a lot more than Roberto Firmino who you know, has his merits but ultimately is not going to be the goal scorer and is not probably going to have the impact um, on, on a game of football that Darwin Nunes uh, had and, and yeah I think his underlying numbers in that small cameo were pretty good uh, as well um nine million pounds i guess a bit of a stretch um not maybe you know, obviously not quite as expensive as, as, as harland but um it's only a matter of time we think until he starts starting and when he does he's just going to keep on scoring goals 
yeah, I mean, he's an awkward. It's in an awkward price category, isn't it? Nine, I suppose, in that it's diff he's difficult to move from from a variety of different people. Like he, you've got quite a way to move up from most other forwards in the game. But obviously, if you're moving down, there's there's only a handful of people who are actually more expensive than him, and and it's quite a chunk more. So you're going to end up with like superfluous money that maybe you'd think would be better spent on players in your team, frankly. So, um, yeah, but nonetheless, everything you've said is true. He he looks like like he could be phenomenal. He's a real... It's, it's interesting because I think it's going to change Liverpool's style of play. He is... They they were much more direct, I think partially because they were 2-0 down, but also because they have a presence like him up front. And so they were... They have been more direct the couple of times he's been on the on the pitch, um, Community Shield as well. So, yeah, it's... um. And I think the point is here, we're not saying he's better than Haaland. He's not, like like you said, he's not on the centre of our radar because we think he's the, the best asset. But we don't talk about Trent on the on our radar. We don't talk about Salah. We, we're not talking about Haaland. There's that tier of players which are, we, we don't think people are transferring in or out necessarily. Like, Or if you're going to transfer Haaland in, you know, that's an obvious one, right? There's a million people that have transferred him in. So the point of the radar here is we're, we're picking someone who like Darwin's ownership is not as high as that, but um, we're someone we're kind of saying, absolutely, we have a, a, a complete focus on. He 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 isn't starting yet, but even if, one, even if he isn't, he's fantastic off the bench. And two, he probably will be starting very soon, if not this week. Yeah, exactly. I think I think his ownership is about 25%, 24% roughly of, of, of FPL managers. And yeah, I guess it is that starts question mark, but we still think that he's good value no matter what. Uh, it does mean that after game week one, we've seen plenty of football uh, and we'll be able to have a relatively sizable sort of mid-range radar piece, Andy. Uh, let's start with Manchester City because just looking, you know, they, they had an interesting shape, I guess, against West Ham. Almost playing like a 2-3-5, which was really interesting. But um Phil Foden, I guess, was notable in the sense that he wasn't playing off 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 the left like he sometimes does, um, but that I think has had an impact in the sense that he was clearly chosen above Mares, um, which I think is 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 interesting. And then City's run: Bournemouth, Newcastle, Crystal Palace, Forest. Uh, Bournemouth, Palace, and Forest of those are at home in the next four, and after that, Tottenham and Wolves. Oh, and Villa are in there as well. It's an incredible, it's, it's a really good run, Andy, ultimately. And and that begs the question, should you be tripling up on City? You know, we are very firm advocates of Cancelo, although more on that later. We're very firm advocates of, of, of Haaland, as we've already mentioned. So who is that third City player? And I guess you could go defensive, but Foden at 8 million, if he is more nailed than Mares and Grealish... Um, more likely to get forward, I guess, and get returns than Bernardo or, or, or Gundogan, and nowhere near as expensive as Kevin De Bruyne, probably pokes his, pokes his nose ahead of them all. Yeah, well, absolutely. From the day we started doing this two or three seasons ago with our, like, rehearsal ones that didn't go live, um, uh, we, we, we said, I think one of the first things we said about Foden was, when this guy gets regular minutes, he is going to be like a ridiculous FPL asset because the talent's always been there and it, you've seen it in flashes when he when he has played and he's been getting more and more minutes. And I think we get, we're at the point now this season where he seems like he is one of the few who, when they're fit, is more likely or not going to, going to start in City's first team. That doesn't always mean the Premier League because City's first team is sometimes prioritising the Champions League. So just be warned that could mean eventually um, not playing in the Premier League when the Champions League starts. And we, we've talked plenty about the busy schedule for teams this year, particularly those in Europe uh, in the build up to the World Cup. But yeah, look, for the next few weeks, whilst, until that's a, a concern, 
Foden, he, he didn't have a fantastic game from the start. He wasn't like the most creative and his best, but I think it's just his performances over the years that we've seen. We, we trust him and his quality. And so if we can now also trust his like minutes, then is he does he possibly emerge as as the best or one of the best or like eight million midfielder options there probably so yeah when you're we we probably would go for other like Harland and Cancelo are going to be way more owned and in more teams but in when particularly when City have a good fixture run like they do coming up yeah you a, a triple up is 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 advised possibly the best team that's ever played in the Premier League so you know when whenever when else you're going to have a triple up in FPL if not then. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, given the fixtures, I like the triple up. And I think Foden is like our headline third City player, I think, is ultimately the best way to, to describe it. Um, not the greatest start in terms of returns, Andy, for uh, pre-season darling uh, Leon Bailey. And therefore, we are having a delve into some of the um, so, some of the cheaper midfield options that could end up emerging, but very much on our kind of watch list at the minute in the, in the middle of our radar. One that I liked from his championship days was Josh De Silva. I think that he had a, you know, he's had a horrendous injury, um, which he seems to have come back from, although he was just off the bench uh, in Brentford's first game. Four and a half million pounds. And he's got 10 goals in the championship before. If he can get forward and, and Brentford play a similar shape to, 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 to what he's, what he's been used to, um, then he could be a really interesting budget, budget pick. I guess the question marks are still going to be over starts and whether he can translate his skill set um, to the you know, to the Premier League. And also his goal at the weekend was, you know, was a, was a worldie. So, you know, he's not going to generate loads and loads of underlying numbers. But um, yeah, I think for four and a half million, he could end up being the pick of the four and a half million pound midfielders. Obviously, I know Pereira from Fulham has been popular already. But yeah, I quite like De Silva. And then maybe the other one that's worth talking about is, is Kieran Dewsbury Hall who we spoke about on the FPL Lounge last season, a little bit more, little bit more expensive this time round. But it's interesting to see that he can, seem, he can seem to play in multiple roles for Leicester, whether that's more advanced, uh, a proper sitting midfielder or a box-to-box kind of, kind of eight player. Yeah, exactly. And also, even more important, is a nailed-on starter. The fact that he's gonna, he looks like he's going to be starting for um, most weeks. He seems, you know... For all their rotation, even at the end of last season, he seemed to play every game in both the Europa Conference League and the Premier League. So, yeah, um, big, big fan of, of 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 him as an option at five million. I think it's five, isn't it? That um, so, yeah. He, and and yeah, I mean, a caveat I'd say on Neto and Bailey um, is is you know it's been one week, right? And they both did perform relatively well in pre-season. So I'm not necessarily personally looking to jump, but this is why I guess Josh De Silva and Dewsbury Hall here are both kind of on the mid-range of our radar. If if we kind of get to a point, we want to start to look at options like that because we 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 gonna, we're potentially going to need alternatives to kind of move off. And and yeah, I mean, I don't Dewsbury Hall getting a lot of plaudits from a lot of places. And if he's going to you know nick nick the old goal, um, that's even better. Let alone if you're paying five mil for a, for a midfielder. Frankly, just getting the appearance points is often pretty good. But but I don't hate Josh De Silva. I know you've been cautious on it there. I haven't seen much of him play myself, which is one of my kind of golden rules, I suppose. I like to have seen a player a bit, at least myself first. But um, look, if he's 4.5 million and he can and he can grab a goal on Brentford are, are a very attacking team. And so you've seen their assets, you know, grab attacking returns, even when they haven't necessarily been playing the best as a team themselves anyway. So if if that allows you to save a mill, for example, by going from Neto to Josh De Silva in the future, then that's a mill you could you, that could be useful elsewhere. Jesus to Darwin, for example. 
Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it could be could be a really interesting one to just to keep a bit of an eye on. Um, another team, Andy, with a good run uh, and has obviously started the season very well by beating uh, your your Man United was, was Brighton, and we we spoke about them a little bit. I think in in preseason, particularly on our FPL lounge long weekend, in terms of sort of budget defenders um, and obviously goalkeepers as well, it's um, it's difficult to get massively on board with Brighton's midfielders and attackers. I think like Danny Welbeck, we sp- we spoke about before the pod, but we're not really enamoured with his price, and yeah, you know, he's still on the eye. He can have a good game, and then he has an absolute nightmare the next week. And I'm still not quite sure if Potter knows exactly which forward is his favourite either. Um, but Lewis Dunk is going to play every week, and Robert Sanchez is going to play every week. And generally speaking, Brighton's underlying numbers under Graham Potter have been pretty good defensively, both are four and a half million pounds, and both are going to get you points this, this season. Well, I mean, I know we weren't supposed to talk about Danny Well, but I just do want to say in his defence, because I feel like he had been slightly unfairly uh, maligned there. He made his way onto our radar at the end of last season because of his underlying numbers as well as his returns. I think he returned in something like four of the last five games last season. He's obviously returned in this first game here. I, I actually think he, his output and his underlying numbers both do demonstrate like someone who who is doing well we, we've we've all we've said for years again doing this podcast like with Foden if Brighton had an, a proper out and out number nine that person would likely do like very well and okay we were ho- possibly hoping it was someone a bit younger and a bit more of a goal threat than than Danny Welbeck but I think he's taking his opportunity and he's doing well he's he's outright made it clear he is the best number nine Brighton currently have the issue for him is that he has competition in terms of from FPL point of view, he has competition. And we've spoken about plenty of other forwards that I think I'd rather get. We only get three forward places, and I don't think he's in the top three of, of, of options for forwards personally for me, or despite the fact that if you want to go for someone a bit cheaper, I think I think he's not a bad shout. Not on to who we are going to have though, as you set it up on, on the on the mid range radar there. Yeah, look, Duncan Sanchez for me, I don't actually think Brighton. Um, individually de- defended necessarily that well, but it's just a system thing. Like Potter is is getting all the plaudits and rightly so. Like he is for all those coaches that get criticised for not making changes and reacting to what's happening in the game. He absolutely does that. He has his players drilled in multiple systems, not just one. I think that goes under the radar a bit. People say, "Oh, Brighton players, they always know what they're doing." It's more than that. They 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 are versatile. Not only can they play in multiple positions and be happy and comfortable on the ball wherever they are on the pitch because of their like good recruitment strategy, finding players that can do that. But also, yeah, they they clearly like practice and have instruct and are intelligent enough to have instructions for if they change formation or slightly change tactic, even within the same formation. Like we saw the three five two turn into a five three two at points, very tight kind of back five when they're under a bit more pressure. So that more so than the individual performances, because again, Sanchez himself made a couple of kind of odd saves, but but ultimately that kind of system thing makes for me Duncan Sanchez like decent options um we spoke about Sanchez a lot in 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 the build-up to the season and possibly even last last game week Uh, he's only 4.5 million and Brighton have got an absolutely fantastic run you know once this game week is over no team has a better run than Brighton between game week three and the international break so in fact Brighton have the best run so West Ham leads Fulham Leicester Bournemouth Crystal Palace like none of last season's big six so yeah they could be on for a handful of clean sheets there 
obviously Sanchez is is a cheap keeper, keep, keeper, and we and we say dunk mainly because he's the he's the most guaranteed starter. There's been a bit of rotation in the centre back positions and at fullback um, early in the season, fitness and other things causing that. Whereas dunk is is the mainstay, so um, perhaps less attacking threat than a 4.5 million Tariq Lamptey, but we can't be sure of, of minutes for Lamptey. So so if you're looking at centre backs, dunk's probably the one. Yeah, Dunk Dunk doesn't mind a goal compared to sort of your Websters and your Veltmans as well. So yeah, definitely the the guy I think from our point of view. Uh, let's uh, I guess bumped up our radar a little bit from the fringes into the into the middle is Everton defenders, but more specifically Andy James Tarkovsky. I think he had a couple of good chances and and and, and Mikalenko as well playing left left wing back. And I guess we wanted to wait and see what Everton's defence was like, and in the end, it didn't end up uh, conceding too many high quality chances to Chelsea. Obviously, Chelsea's and they won the game but with a penalty. A non-penalty XG would have been well under one uh, in this game. So, yeah, Everton seemed to keep things relatively tight and also lost a, I think, did they lose one or two defenders in the game as well? So, um, yeah, you know, the backups coming in and and, and doing a pretty good job. Um it just seemed to possibly be a bit more organised. Maybe Lampard's benefiting from 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 a preseason, but I guess Mikalenko also going forward was whipping some some interesting balls across the box and ones to keep an eye on. I think. I think the system suits the player they players they have as well. Like they have very attacking wing back, full back type players, and playing that three a bit like almost England a little bit. And that's why maybe I'd like to see United move to three at the back. It, it's just. In a four, that they've never really looked defensively solid, but yet they do look a little bit more stable. They've just signed a, a, a sort of defensive midfielder as well, um, so so that will that will help with cover even more. And they're they're in for Adrissa Gay coming back as well, apparently. Um, so that would be an incredibly replacing stable... replacing Adrissa Gana guy with Adrissa Gana guy four years later is uh, some business. I mean. The thing is, though, uh, it is. I mean, that is a that is a. I think that's a fantastic signing for them to get him back. Is when you've got Onana next to him as well. Again, I haven't seen much of this kid play, but the write-ups that he's a strong defensive midfielder. Look, that that sounds like a relatively secure. You're you're honest, listeners. I wish you could see Chris's face. He's not having any of this. But I'm before... not. I'm not. I'm not because I'm not having. I'm not having. I'm not having anyone praised for good business when you didn't replace a guy for four years and then you get him back on the free. Like that's not good business. I mean, Allen and Decore both looked like good signings. I think they slightly overpaid, maybe particularly for Decore, but like they both looked like good, and they were really relatively similar similar profile players. So you know. I'd, it's, you're never going to keep him when he wants to go to PSG, right? No, I get so, that, but recruit better. Anyway, anyway, like we don't. Yeah, yeah look, we don't, we, we, the point. The point here is, at the moment, that w- w- without those signings, they looked pretty good against Chelsea in this first game. Here, it's obviously only a one-game sample size, and Chelsea have been a bit all at sea. We said that pre-season, so they're not. It's not really full strength, full flowing Chelsea. But never, nevertheless, that's why they're on the mid-range of radar rather than the centre. It's something we're going to be continuing to keep an eye on. And ultimately, they're both very cheap, only at 4.5. Mikalenko was putting in some fantastic balls. If Chelsea, um, sorry, if, if Everton can sign a striker, and Lampard was very, very clear in the post-match that they are in the market for, they're actively working to try and find one. That doesn't mean that they will, or that they'll find a good one. But ultimately, they that's better than them not recognising that's a problem. I'm saying yeah. right, and if they get a number nine. I think Mikalenko looks really, really appealing at, with with Everton's run and him only being 4.5 mil. Yeah, I think that's fair. Their, their run then in the next four, Villa, Forest, Brentford and Leeds. Three away games in there, which sometimes does hurt Everton a little bit. I think at Goodison they tend to be a bit better. But yeah, a, a, a decent run. Um, and yeah, I think I think they deserve their bump up from the fringes to, to the middle. 
sorry one thing I I was supposed to mention as well was that um obviously we we talked we talked about the midfield signings but Connor Cody I think that's a significant yeah, signing for them obviously Godfrey got it sounds like a really nice one he could be out almost for the season by the sounds of it it's like some kind of horrible leg break um but uh or something like that but any but but ultimately to sign Cody to fill in that gap when uh, particularly when they're playing in a three which he's used to and you know he's a leader he's an organizer I think that's a fantastic signing for them if they are committed to that three at the back system going forward so yeah you think you think Cody Tarkovsky and Holgate is good enough to do a job in the Premier League when you like yeah Uh, for for sure for sure Tarkovsky looked decent didn't he like he looked good so he looked solid so yeah I mean, you know, he wasn't at fault, but it's Alex Roy being in the centre of midfield. That that's when you start to question uh, question what the hell's going on at Everton. Um, on our fringes, Andy, and we mentioned uh, Cancelo earlier. We do really need to make make these a bit snappier. Um, Jao Cancelo, looking at Man City's system where Cancelo and Walker ended up as central, ultimately central midfielders. What we like about Cancelo is his assist potential. He got eleven assists last year, a lot of them coming from wide positions. Um, if he's going to play basically as a central midfielder, almost like a bit like how Zinchenko seemed to want to play for City sometimes um you'd think his assist potential isn't going to be as high and therefore if you're spending seven million pound on him for less assist potential and just clean sheet potential Kyle Walker is also five million pounds and that's a nice two million pound saving isn't it exactly that this coming inside more thing I don't know because because he did it a bit and but he was doing it in such a way last season that it helped his assist potential because he was coming just a little bit inside and playing a through ball but they're playing seemingly as like out and out like central midfielders and there seems to be more like sideways and outwards towards the wings passes from them than direct like through balls through the middle and that's not going to help you get assists right so if they're going to do that as you said you might as well save two mil and have Carl Walker I would say Carl Walker arguably had more influence on the or perhaps not even arguably had more influence on the game against West Ham than Cancelo did um, and so yeah that, okay it's one game right so we know from a, a consistent period of time that Cancelo has much more attacking threat than Walker but if the system is such that it uses them both in this way. Again, this is right on the fringes of the radar. We're basically saying here, I've got my eye on Carl Walker, and it would probably be Cancelover that would be that would, that would possibly be the one to to, to make way. Yeah, I think sounds I think crazy to say. But... Yeah, I think, but I think that is the other point is that we want to see City's shape, I guess, against Bournemouth. Um, you know, very different proposition. Sometimes Pep can have you know systems for one game, and maybe he saw something in West Ham that could be exploited. But yeah, it'd be really interesting to to, to map um, their Carl Walker and Jao Cancelo's touches, or whoever City plays at fullback, their touches and, and their positions, um, because they were very noticeably playing like a two-three-five with sort of Rodri um, flanked by by the fullbacks uh, in the middle of the field, which you know, feels very odd to say and a bit of an oxymoron. On, but yeah, ultimately that's that's where it was. Um, I did manage to watch the first game of the season, uh, or not the first game of the season, the second game of the season, the Saturday lunchtime kickoff, Liverpool playing uh, Fulham, and yeah, we've got to mention Mitrovic, Andy. I think he's on the fringes of our of our thinking because we need to see more of this guy doing it consistently in the Premier League. But he, oh, unplayable is a big, grandiose term. Um, but he looked very, very good when he got in the game, and something that we flagged on the FPL Lounge long weekend was that Fulham are more set up to take advantage of Mitrovic now under Marco Silva than they were when he was last in the Premier League. So, yeah, I want to see it again. I want to see it again probably after that, but I was very encouraged by what I saw against Liverpool. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think this makes what my Welbeck tangent less superfluous than it was now, because everything I said about him there, this is another reason why Mitro's on the fringes here rather than further towards the centre of our radar, because, yeah, that ultimately he's in a pool of stronger forwards this season. And as well as wanting to see it more consistently, you know, we probably would be thinking it'd be better to fill those forward spots with with, with people we, we we can trust a bit more to get more consistent returns. So so that that's the thing. He's he's got to demonstrate that he's worth using one of those currently like precious three forward spots up on. Anyone else on your mind for a quick honourable mention that you are keen to look at this weekend? Uh, not really, actually. No, we've had a slightly more inflated mid-range of our radar yeah. and fringes there. So, so, so not for me. But I know you're you're getting your leads horn out again. <laughs> yeah, I am. I am. I think we all knew it might be inevitable, depending on how they start the season. Look, Leeds didn't create loads and loads of chances. I think their XG also was under one in in their first game, but did manage to score twice. But yeah, I'm looking at Aronson at five and a half million. I'm looking at Jack Harrison who created more chances than anyone else in game week one at six. And yeah, I think there's going to be part of me that that, that thinks about Patrick Bamford at some point. If if he can get firing again, seven and a half million pounds could be good value, depending on what other players around the similar price point, I guess, from six and a half up to Jesus at eight are doing. It could be Bamford, but who's a player that we didn't really mention much before. But yeah, I need to see it. Um, one game against Wolves at home isn't enough for me to be sort of making any movement towards these players. Well, never mind all the forwards we've mentioned, which is quite a few now to this point ahead of Bamford. Did you see Callum Wilson's finish? The weekend. I, I did I did yeah that is that is a finish and a half that little yeah, like outside not... of his foot poke it round and over the keeper or whatever like yeah love it's it. nice it's love nice it. he's, he's a good player but yeah I'm not I'm not getting excited by it right yeah I mean but yes it was a great finish yes it was yeah a great finish. yeah and I think I think when he's the same price as Bamford yeah like I mean your other two picks are, I can I can I can get on board with they are in that range of you know we're, if we're looking for sort of cheapish low-end budget midfielders Harrison and Aronson both looked lively and like they were they were up for sort of creating things. So, I mean, Leeds' performance wasn't fantastic. This is very much an eye thing. They, they looked a bit buzzy. Other than, like you say, Harrison, no one created more than him in terms of the number of chances. But we'll see. You want to see more quality, won't we? From the Absolutely. Both. Yeah, I think I think there are encour- encouraging signs from from the team that Marsh maybe has a bit more of a system and it's not all at sea like it was towards the end of last year. So, so yeah. Anyway, let's uh, let's leave it there. An inflated radar as always. Uh, but let's uh, let's take a break and when we come back, uh, we will be swimming against the tide. Here at the FPL Lounge, we are keen to hear from you. You can join in the conversation on Twitter or Instagram at FPL underscore Lounge. We will preview every game week throughout the season, exploring options for your chips and transfers. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your pods so that you have all the information you need before the game week deadline. Thanks for joining us in the FPL Lounge. Welcome back then, Andy. So, swimming against the tide this week, uh, a player that was the FPL pre-season darling, really. He was owned by, what, was it 74, 75% of managers going into game week one, I think. Um, but Gabriel Jesus, at the minute, is the second most transferred out. Almost 300,000 transfers out at the time of recording, which is one of the bigger numbers that we end up talking about uh, on in this segment. Um you, I think you watched this game. I didn't. I didn't quite watch watch Arsenal Palace, but from all reports, he was very much involved. Looked pretty good on the eye, but just didn't get a, get any attacking returns. Is he a victim of outcome bias here? I mean, possibly slightly. It's 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 it's, it's very hard to work out what it is really. I mean, obviously he didn't score or assist, but like 
yeah, I mean, I, I saw extended highlights of the game, not the full thing, but he looked like he was it, he was playing as a proper number nine and he was getting touches and he was he was involved in, in the play. So it does seem like an odd one. And, and not just that, though. Ultimately, it's one game. And look at the fixtures. Like if you put Jesus in your team, well, part of it might be because you're getting excited about the number of goals you scored in preseason. But also part of the decision making was surely looking at that fixture run. And he's only one game into that fixture run. He still does have Leicester at home coming this week and then Bournemouth, Fulham, Villa. So two promoted teams and one recently promoted team uh, before game week five. I mean, and he's got yeah. a really easy game week six as well. Yeah, Man United walk in the park. You definitely score against Man. If if you're a forward and you're playing against Man United, you know you're going to get at least one goal between you. So that could be Jesus that week. And um, yeah, uh, the so 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 I suppose a caveat here is if you know when you part of the reasons he's got so many transfers out is because he was owned by so many more people, right? Yeah. So like as a proportion of his owners who've got rid of him, it's probably actually very, very small compared to some other players. But but nonetheless, he is the second most transferred out player. And I just don't, I don't see, um, it's possible that this could all, we did say lots of times, didn't we, that we, it, despite having Arsenal players on our radars and in our teams, there's always just something very Arsenal, isn't there? Like that, it could all just go completely wrong and fall flat on its face. Like if anyone's watched the, uh, the All or Nothing, it's hilarious how they build up the season and then the first game against Brentford the air goes out of the balloon. And so, so there is a, there is a possibility, uh, to be honest, there's an argument they were lucky against Palace. That Palace had more XG actually than Arsenal in the game. But look, I think when, when, when those, when their three attackers were in such out and out goal scoring form in preseason, they've won the first game, they've got their tails up and they've got a decent run like this. I could understand like maybe not bringing him in, but if he's in your team, transfers are precious, particularly at this early stage of the season, yeah, it seems odd to be using it when uh, we're looking at what he's got coming up. So, yeah, uh, well, I think we're very happy. You, we could see him scoring a good two or three goals in these next few weeks. So we're happy to to swim against that move. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like the fixtures, like the eye test from the reports that I've heard. And yeah, I mean, there's no obvious place to go. I mean, I know we're, we're very firm advocates of Darwin Nunes, but that's an extra million. So you must have saved a million or, or or taking a hit into this week in order to make make that move. If you're going down, maybe you're going to Mitrovic, but he's on the fringes of our radar for a reason. We want to see it more. Whereas Jesus and Arsenal, I think we're more confident in them ultimately, given their fixture run. They're not a newly promoted team. Like it feels obvious to say, but but they're not. And then yeah, you're really struggling with other seven million and seven and a half million pound forwards, none of whom we find particularly convincing. And our FPL lounge long weekend talking about forwards is testament to that. So yeah, I think it feels like an odd one to me. Um, and yeah, I think it might just be uh, managers get being a little bit frustrated that he didn't return in game week one. But I think there's enough in this fixture run and enough that we saw with our eyes uh, to not panic just yet on him. Uh, let's move on, Andy. Let's finish with captaincy. Um, I guess Erling Haaland has become a pretty good captaincy option after just seeing him for what 78 minutes in game week one. Well, absolutely. And I think we probably would have said he was an all right one last week as, as, as well. I mean, you know, Salah had had an easier fixture so so there was less there was less debate but here um he's got Bournemouth at home we have seen City under Pep over the years destroy these fixtures right newly promoted teams or lower league lower table parts of the table teams coming at home up against City 
four, five, sixes, sevens have have been regular in these types of fixtures. Haaland is going to play. He's going to be through the middle. City do not have a congested fixture schedule at the moment. He, so he so he's going to be the number nine. They're he probably needs the minutes. He probably needs the minutes. A lot of the players probably need the minutes. They're probably going to play their full first 11 again. They could absolutely just completely tear Bournemouth apart here. And um, yeah, I mean, if you if if you had to average it, I mean, I wonder what the under overs is, but they could genuinely be like pick them over uh, under over 3.5 or, or higher even like I'd possibly even back pick them at, at over three and a half goals for City in this game. So yeah basically what that means is you're expecting them to get four goals or more in the game more more often than not and if they're going to get four goals Haaland's very very likely to be involved in in at least one or more of those so it's a fantastic it's just that's a, a long way of saying this is as best as you could possibly hope for ever at any point if there was no double game weeks I'd be thinking about using my triple captainship this week yeah 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 fair enough I mean I'm just looking at Bournemouth's defence that started the last game against Villa. Obviously, they did keep a clean sheet and for all intents and purposes, you know, it was a pretty good performance from them. Uh, but Jefferson Lerma isn't really a defender. Chris Metham, Lloyd Kelly. Yeah, OK. That's maybe not even the best championship defence, really. Um, it, ha- it has the potential to get absolutely torn to pieces by by the City side. And yeah, I think uh, Haaland it makes a lot of sense as a captaincy option this week. Although I best guess we better mention uh, De Bruyne and Cancelo as well. Although I think Haaland would very much be our primary pick. Uh, we've got to mention Salah as well. And he started the season with, um, with a double-digit return, as he does every season. And... Um, yeah, they've got they've got Palace. It's a fixture where they could easily haul, and Salah could end up hauling again, and just rinse and repeat. Yeah, exactly. Salah, Salah is a great FPL asset. They're at home. They've got Crystal Palace, who weren't actually bad, especially if you look at the XG. Although the performance was a bit uh, scrappy from arguably both teams, but still, uh, yeah, Salah, Liverpool, superior team. Do need to get into their stride a little bit. Haven't been great in, in either the community shield or the first game of the season. But um I wouldn't put I would ultimately still, despite his massive increase in ownership, half the managers don't own Haaland currently. So there will be lots of people who who will be go, who will be captaining Salah probably. And I and I wouldn't, you know, also plenty of people having to choose between the two. And I wouldn't necessarily, you know, in any given game week, even against Bournemouth, Salah Salah could could outscore, could outscore Haaland. So um you know, it's what what can you say? Every, almost every week, week Salah's a good option, but certainly when he's at home and he's playing like a uh, uh, a team from kind of the mid mid or lower at, at reaches of the table, like Palace. Absolutely, yeah. I guess uh, mentioned as well for Darwin and Trent, uh, both obviously with the same fixture. But yeah, it feels like it's Haaland or Salah if you own them. If you don't own either of them, I don't feel it feel like you're playing the game very well, to be honest. So um, you know, I mean, start which to the FPL lounge a bit more. We try to give the pros and cons, don't we? Right? We try. That's what we, what we say we try to do. But ultimately, they're both at home here. They're both playing lower league, like opposition. Although arguably Bournemouth, it's, it's unfair to put Palace in the same bracket as Bournemouth. Yeah. Um. So, like, it, it's it's very difficult to distinguish. Like, before this week, we were saying City weren't really in their stride, right? And now after this week, we're saying City probably look a bit more more coherent than Liverpool. So it is very hard to pick pros and cons these two I think this week and it's going to come down to for a lot of people just a bit of a bit of vibes a bit of a feeling yeah I mean I guess Salah was an extra point for a goal does that make mm-hmm. an impact but then he's he, we saw him drift out wide when Darwin come on 
Um, not really as much maybe in the thick of it as we would want him to be. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm pretty confident where I'll be going and it will be to, to, you know, to the new boy from Norway. But, uh, yeah, we'll have to have to wait and see how that transpires, I guess, uh, next week. Uh, let's leave it there, Andy. Let's finish it as we always do with who the heck is stat. Uh, it's a little game Andy and I like to play where we take it in turns each week to pick a player from the FPL universe who must be owned by at least 5% of managers and the other person has to guess who it is. They get five clues and if they guess it after the first clue, they get five points. After the second clue, like Andy did last week, and get four four points which is insane on game week one uh, and so on and so forth every time we hear a clue we get two minutes to make our guess and we get to stick or, or stick or twist on our previous guess which means we don't reveal the answer to the end and allows you to play along wherever you're listening to the podcast yeah andy has a four nil lead after his first game which feels psychologically uh, difficult for me uh, but you know what let's just keep trying to claw away and plug plug away and yeah try and try and bring this trophy trophy back to Essex for the first time well it's it's you know it's early days it's early days right don't get don't get psyched out in game week one I mean you 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 slightly made your own bed here in that you you tried to like goad me and say I needed some like Roy Keane motivation or whatever and then I went and laid down a big fit four pointer so um if you're gonna yeah you kind of got to take that on the chin if you're if you're going to be all all like that about it but no look plenty of time it's game week two. Yep. It's a, it's all gravy, baby. Right. It's all um, gravy. Yep. Quite. Go on. As, as Christina Milian would say. Um, was that what that was? You did that song? Was I've, it? I don't know what you're talking about. To be honest, I just thought it was, a, it was a saying. It's all gravy, baby. That one. I have to say, if, if I think most of our listeners, if they were to ever take a bet about who was most likely to sing on this podcast, I don't <laughs> think you'd have been fab. For no. That. Probably um, not. I'm going to have to Google that and find it at some point. But if you know what song I'm talking about, listeners, find us on Twitter or Instagram at FPL underscore lounge. Um, it's a banger. It's like a noughties R&B banger. Um, yeah, maybe a bit before your time, Chris. Wasn't really my vibe, noughties R&B, not going to lie. All right. OK. Anyway, back to who the heck is that? Clue number yep. one. Yeah. Um, it is this player's seventh season in FPL, but they are yet to break 150 points. Yet to break 150 seven seasons okay uh let's go through the teams as we as we like to do then villa can't feel like they're gonna have many that have up seven seasons uh everton probably not many over owned over five percent i wouldn't have thought arsenal could have some who would that be i wonder if uh i wonder if zinchenko is one of them it's one to keep on keep keep in mind uh, Leicester, could any any more Arsenal maybe to think about? Jesus would have broken it. Martinelli not seven seasons. Saka probably not seven seasons. Leicester mm, can't think of anyone off the top of my head. Brighton probably not or Newcastle. Mm. Do you know what? I'm going to need another clue. So I'm going to go Zinchenko, and we'll just move, we'll just move on to this next clue. Okay, you sure? Yeah, sure. Yeah, okay. Clue number two then. Uh, this player started the season at their lowest ever starting price. Yeah, I find that hard to believe that it's him then. Um, started the season at his lowest ever starting price. I'm trying to think of anyone that had a big price change, but that would have been some. Marcus Rashford, seven seasons on the scene. Enough, and I'm sure he would have broken 150 before. 
Sancho. Would he have had seasons at City? Probably not. Who else would have had their lowest starting price? Probably quite a few players. Maybe had a down year last year. Which, oh, keeper, keeper maybe. Alisson must have broke 150 points. Same with Edison. We spoke about them at the start of the season having had price drops. So, um, any notables from some of these other teams whose price would have dropped? Harry Maguire? Actually, no, surely he's 5% that I don't own him. West Ham, Cresswell? He must have had over 150 points at some point. Chelsea or Spurs? Anyone Spursy? Mm, Liverpool? Uh, Robert and Trent? Probably not. I had a price drop. I mean, yeah, struggling. Struggling. 30 seconds. Um, okay. Um... I'm gonna stick with Zinchenko just just in case, but I don't think he that I don't think he will be his lowest price ever. So yeah. Okay, sticking with Zinchenko. Um, okay, clue number three then. This player is currently the highest owned player at their club. Highest owned player at their club. Okay, so who will that be for each team? Villa probably. Or Coutinho or. Dean. I don't feel like the other clues would apply to them or cash, I guess. Mm, not sure. Everton would be don't know. Gordon, maybe. Defender. Could it be a defender like Tarkovsky? Nah, I don't think so. Arsenal's probably is Zinchenko. Leicester's will be Madison. Surely he must have broke 150 points. Didn't he do it last year? Yeah, okay. So that can't be him. Who? What about Brighton? Oh, is it Danny Welbeck? <laughs> he must have played more than seven years, though. Dunk? Sanchez? Don't feel like seven years for any either of them. Newcastle's could be Trippier. Oh, that's a... Is that a shout? Seven years? Seven seasons? Doesn't... I feel like he's played more than that as well. Oh, we're struggling. Uh, who would be City's most owned? Haaland, so no. Southampton would be Ward Prowse, but he'll have broken 150. Leeds, probably no one's for seven seasons. Wolves, same. Fulham, same. Brentford, same. United's most owned player. 30 seconds. Struggling here. I'm going to have to stick, I think. I'm gonna have to stick with old Zinchenko, but I, yeah, I just don't think it's I don't think it's right. But I'll stick. You're gonna stick. Yeah. Okay. Clue number four. This player did not return in game week one. Ah, uh, he did though, didn't he? Um. So that definitely can't be him. Seven seasons, never had over 150 points. Most owned player at their club. Who is Arsenal's most owned player? Did I say it was Zinchenko? I didn't know. It's not him though, is it? It's Jesus. Hmm. Didn't return in game week one. I mean, yeah. we've spoken about that a lot on this on this very podcast. I wonder. 
I wonder. Did I say earlier that he was their most owned player? Maybe. Oh, I'm going around in circles now. Uh, okay, let's have another think. Uh, Palace, who would they, theirs be? Zaha. Did he return? He didn't return, did he? He must have broken 150 points, though. Liverpool's most owned would be Salah, and he did return. Spurs's would be Kane, but he's broken the points threshold. Chelsea's most owned would be Mendy or Mount. Probably broken the threshold. I think I'm going to have to switch off this. Okay, has Jesus done six years? Or in his seventh? Yeah, okay, probably. I think he got sneaky a lot of seasons. Has he broken 150 points? I guess we're probably 30 let, seconds. Didn't return in game week one. Is his team's most owned player. I think I'm going to have to switch up to Gabriel Jesus. Okay. Final answer. Time's running out, you sure? Final answer. Yeah, okay. Clue number five. Uh, this player is the highest owned player in their position. In their Who position the and the club. Stat? Yeah, that's got to be him, doesn't it? Who's the highest owned keeper in the game? It was, was what, Mendy going to game week one? Defender would have been Trent, who's obviously gone over 150 points before. Midfielder would be Salah, who's obviously gone over 150 points before. Forward was Jesus, who might not have done. Could it be one of the keepers? Mendy's not played seven seasons. Edison Nelson might have done. But I find it hard to believe they haven't won. Neither of them have broken 150 points ever. Whereas Jesus with roulette and... Yeah, okay. Yeah, stick, I'll stick with Jesus. I'll take the two. It is Gabriel Jesus. Yes. Uh, Jesus, sorry, I made that mistake last week. Would you correct me? Yeah, Jesus, yes, there you go. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's, um. he hasn't, on that very first clue, you mentioned him. You said, you when you were running down the teams, and you said, but he, oh, but he will have broken it. He yeah. Has not, 146 is his highest ever return. Um, yeah, I was the, I was also surprised at the second at the second clue about this is his lowest ever starting price. Yeah, he's um he's always started higher than this, which is interesting because he's never been like an out and out starter for City, but his price has always been more. And in the in the first year where he is a more nailed on starter, he's actually at his lowest uh, his lowest price point. Yeah, so yeah, um, obviously highest owned player at their club. Yeah, you absolutely did say it was Zinchenko. Yeah, I did not. And I'm sitting there thinking you are going to kick yourself when you when you hear this back. You just said that Zinchenko. We've, we've talked for ages about. Oh, yeah, Jesus's ownership. He's probably owned by sixty percent more managers than Zinchenko. <laughs> but uh, there we go. And yeah, he did not return in game week one. When you started going to keepers, I wondered whether some or possibly even a lot of these clues would apply to Danny Ward. Seventh season might be yet to break one fifty. <laughs> uh, started the season with the lowest ever starting price, well four mil, so must be. Currently the highest yeah. owned player at his club. Yes, did not return in game week one. Yes. Highest owned player in the position, yes. So it, it's possible that I'd have maybe had to give you that one if you'd. If I mean, you'd... just just looking at it, he's played more than more than way more than uh, than seven seasons, and right, he but... started at four million multiple times. So I'll tell you what, it's only his ninth season, so it's it's not a million miles. All the other clues are are, are true though, right? Starting price is not. I guess is it his lowest if it was his joint lowest. 
joint uh, lowest, I suppose. Yeah, still lowest, but equal lowest, maybe. Yeah, yeah. but still. Anyway, uh, maybe if I was feeling generous, I might, I might have given you if you've gone, if you've gone for that. But given how close it was, but anyway, it wasn't. It was Gabriel Jesus, the most yeah. owned player in the game, Chris. Yeah, 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 yeah. That annoys me now. But never mind. It was just. I guess it's the difference between three and two points. I'll take two. I'll take two for now. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, there we go. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. Um, let's leave it there, Andy. Uh, if our listeners have any questions for us about what to do ahead of Game Week 2, whether they're one thing we haven't spoken about is, is rolling, of course, rolling your transfer and, and saving saving some stuff up. Um, but equally, if they want to uh, ask us how good Colchester United are defensively, then how can they get in touch? They can find us on Twitter or Instagram at FPL underscore lounge. And they can confirm me for me that it was Christina Millian featuring Romeo from what he was from. So solid crew, wasn't he? Was he? Um, yeah. 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 T- two multiplied by 10 plus one Romeo done. That's Romeo. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, talk to us about Naughty's R&B or FPL. Your choice. Find us there on our socials. Yeah, I think if you talk to us about FPL, it's a toss-up about who will reply. If you want to talk about Naughty's R&B, it will not be me that will be replying. It will be Andy. Uh, but obviously, if you also want to talk about Naughty's R&B, you can remember to rate, review, and subscribe, particularly in your review. You know, tell us uh, which what you know your favourite Naughty's R&B song is. I don't think I've got one. So, does Craig David count as Naughty's R&B? More garage, well, but... Would he call himself R&B? Probably wouldn't, would he? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but he... he, he, he... He strayed into poppy R&B stuff, didn't he? Left his left his underground roots. Left his roots. Right. Well, yeah. I don't mind a bit of that, as you full well know. So, uh, so yeah. yeah. Anyway, we will be back uh, to preview game week three. So, I hope everybody has a fantastic game week two. Be able to do remember to get in touch if you've got any questions beforehand. Uh, but Andy, until then, thanks for joining us in the FPL Lounge.